What's going on, Thrive Church family? We're so grateful you're tuning into this week's podcast. We pray this message will bless you in the same way it has blessed our house this past Sunday. Well, Thrive, good morning. How are you? Good, good. Come on. What a great day. What a great day. I love it. I love when God interrupts our plans. I think it's so important that we as a people learn that the most important thing we do when we gather is to prioritize the presence of God. And we're going to talk about that today. Um, but, but to not just say that, but to live it and to make space, right? To make room. Like one of the things we do here, I don't know if you notice, you got plenty of space and with chairs and seats in front of you. Although second service, y'all getting full. Okay, now. Um, we do that because we want you to invite friends, family. It's the same way with Jesus's presence. If he doesn't feel welcomed, what are we doing? And so I love it when God interrupts the service. And so this is what we're gonna do. We're just gonna go right into the message in just a second. I wanna do two things. I'm just gonna just announce a couple things real quick and we're gonna let you go. Uh, one, if you're a first-time visitor, we love you. We're so excited you're here. Do me a favor, give it up for our first-time visitors in the room. Thanks for being here. You came on a good one. And so uh, go ahead and fill out that Connect card and we would love to get to know you. And then secondly, we have offering. And so if you'd like to give, go ahead and get ready to give at the end of service. You don't have to do it now. We don't pass out the buckets. But just a reminder, thank you for your generosity. Without your generosity, we can't do what we just did right now. Because collectively when we give, we're able to create a space where people and God can be invited and the presence of God can be there. And so there's the ways to give. I'm not gonna beat it over the head. We love you. Thank you for your giving. If you'd like to start giving, go ahead and start giving. Those ways are on the screen. And then we got some other announcements as well. You can find out about them. We got prayer room going on this week. We got baptisms coming up. We got all sorts of things going on. It's Pastor's Appreciation Month as well. All sorts of things. Go ahead and see those online. Sound good? Sound good? Because I feel like God wants to talk to you and he don't want to give you announcements. So let's go ahead and go into the word. Sound good? All right, do me a favor. Stand your feet one more time. Let's do it. And we're going to jump right into the scripture. We're going to jump right into the Bible. I'm going to shorten up the conversation today, obviously. Want to make sure you guys have a good lunch. And so go ahead and turn to the book of 2 Samuel chapter 6. 2 Samuel chapter 6. And we're going to go ahead and go to verse 3 to 13. We're going to read this story. And then I got just some few thoughts that I believe uh, really are going to essentially explain what I believe just happened in worship. I think that's what God often does, especially when he changes the service. He goes from wanting to preach some things to then explain on what just took place. And I think that's so key and so valuable. And so it says this, and we're continuing our story on the life of David and the life of King David and who he was. And really that heart, this series of all of me is to be a person, an individual, a church that is wholehearted, that loves God with all their heart, to be someone like David was, who was a person after God's own heart. That's my prayer for you, is that you would be a person after God's heart as well. And so we're gonna find a little bit more of the story in this passage. It says in 2 Samuel chapter 6, verses 3 to 13, it says, and they carried out the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, were driving the new cart. And with the ark of God and Ahio went before the ark. Verse five. And David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. And when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it. For the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah. And God struck him down there because of his error. And he died there because uh, beside the ark of God. Verse eight. And David was angry 
because the Lord had broken out against Uzzah. And the place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day. And he said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? Verse 10. And so David was not willing to take the ark of the Lord into the city of David. But David took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. And it was told King David, the Lord had blessed the household of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fattened animal. Let's pray. Jesus, just continue what you're doing in the service. We love you. We thank you. And we're so excited for what you're doing in this place. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Go ahead and have a seat. All right, I'm gonna give you the cliff notes of this message. Does that sound good? Are we good? All right, we, hit, we are now in the story where David is king. Come on, we finally made it. How many of you have been you know, following and watching this series? And it's been kind of a roller coaster and a whirlwind for David, right? He's in caves. People trying to kill him. He's in fields. He's in the palace. The novella continues, and we arrive. David is now king. Come on, I don't know about you, but I'm excited for my boy David. It feels like he's like my homie when I read these. It's like I know him. I'm like, oh boy, you made it. Come on, I'm all like celebrating him. I'm just sharing. You know, I imagine that moment was on Instagram. I would share it to all my friends. You know, David's finally king. Come on now. I love it. And so what I want to talk about today is David's priority. And really, this heart that we see that David has, and really the idea of it is this, is that David prioritized the presence of God. And I, I would pray that in the same manner that David would prioritize the presence of God is the same way that you and I would learn to prioritize the presence of God. One of the things I have learned on why David was so significant in scripture as a man after God's own heart is because David understood the priorities of his life and David understood the priority of putting God first. See, I think for most of us, it's not that God is not a part of your equation. It's that God is not the first thing in your equation. And what I have learned is that when you begin to off-prioritize things that need priority, it doesn't end up working. Which leads me to my first point, and then we're going to jump a few points, so just follow me. All right, Jessica, you're the girl. Love you. All right, good stuff. Is what you do first reveals your priorities, right? What you do first is usually what matters most. Let me share with you a little story, and I know he's probably watching online, so do me a favor. Give it, everybody, give it up for everyone watching online this morning. Come on. Let's give it up for our online church, our family that couldn't make it in the room. I'm going to share this story because my little guy, he was sick last night, and so he's staying home. I know he's watching church. I also know the reason why he's watching church is because my son is not allowed to play Fortnite unless he tells me what the verse is in, in church. So either from me or from Pastor Dylan, you better tell me what you learned about at church on Sunday or you ain't going to play no Fortnite. My son loves Fortnite. I think I've talked about this. He loves it obsessively. It's weird. Parents, can I get an amen that your kid loves Fortnite way too much? Okay, y'all don't have a teenager children then. Yeah, my, my son's not even a teenager, he's six. The other day we asked him, we said, son, how old are you? He was like, six. And then we said, how old do you think you are? He's like, 13. 
Pray for me. Pray for me. He's such a good boy, though. I love him. He, had a t- he, he wasn't feeling good. His stomach wasn't feeling good, so he's at home. And so with Zadok, we have had to learn how to figure some things out with this Fortnite thing. Because this boy, this boy will play Fortnite all day long. This guy will wake up. He's, he's an early bird, okay? He's not like his dad. He wakes up early. Me, I like to sleep. Him, he's up, okay? The sun's not even up yet, and he's up. And he's up, and he will play Fortnite for, if we let him from 7 a.m. to 10 o'clock at night. He's just, just laying in his bed, passing out with his little headset. And I get it, okay? One, it's super cool. Two, he's homeschooled. So the only time he gets to hang out with friends is on the headset. So pray for Zadok, okay? And so Zadok could play Fortnite all day long. And that's not good. That's not healthy. And so we needed to chill out. We need to create some barriers and some boundaries. And so what we decided to do is we have to go ahead and tell him everything he has to do before he can play Fortnite, all right? And I don't know about you, but I'm tough on my kids, okay? I don't know if you're tough on your kids. I'm tough on my kids. Don't judge me. Judge your own kids, and then we'll judge my kid, and we'll see how they all turn out in 20 years, okay? But my six-year-old son, we said, all right, you wake up, you shower, you brush your teeth, you do, you do the dishes. You, you take the dishes out of the dishwasher. He does laundry. Come on now. It's not even that hard. There's pods. And then you just press buttons. Like, it's the front loader. You don't even have to get, like, it's so easy. You do your laundry. You clean your room. You clean your sister's room. You do all your homework. And then you can play Fortnite. The other day, Zayda come up to me, and he was like, Dad, do I have to take a shower tomorrow? I was like, what do you mean do you have to take a shower tomorrow? He goes, yeah, like, I mean, I don't, like, really stink. Like, and what he's trying to do is he's trying to save time for Fortnite. And I was like, son, you are a man. I know you're six, but you are a man, and you're going to smell like one. And we ain't going to start this habit about you taking a shower every three days like some stinky middle schoolers we out here on these streets. We ain't doing that. So, yes, you have to take a shower tomorrow. So he has to do all this. Why? Because if he doesn't do those things first, and he plays Fortnite first, what's gonna happen is none of those things are gonna get done. Let's be real. Ain't nothing gonna get done the way that needs to get done. And family, it is the same way with us and our priorities. I don't think it's that God's not in your life. It's that I actually think God's not the first thing in your life. And then we wonder why we're in a mess. And then we wonder why we're in the things that we're into. And what I have learned is that if you would put God in the place he belongs, which is the first place, which is the main place, which is at the center of your life, then watch everything fall into place. There's a scripture in the gospels that says, seek first the kingdom of God and everything else will be added unto you. I love that passage. Because it doesn't give you an order, right? And we've all had these orders where it's like God, family, friends, work, church. And I don't know what the order is. Obviously, there's more healthy orders than others. But I know this for sure, that if you don't allow God to be the first thing in your life, the main thing, the one thing, then everything else gets out of whack. It's the missing piece for some of us that we have to allow to prioritize. And we learn this, that this is why God trusted David is because David prioritizes the presence of God. Why? Because it's the first thing he did as king. He didn't throw a party, right? He could have thrown a party. He could have made it all about himself. He could have did his inauguration ceremony and made everything about it. You know, you think of like the kings and queens in Great Britain and those coronation ceremonies. That's not what he did. 
This is what he did. The first thing he did as king, once the, the elders anointed him, the Bible says that in 2 Samuel, the elders of Israel came to David and they said, now you will be the shepherd over Israel. Come on, isn't that good? Because I don't know if you remember this, but David was a shepherd. Come on, doesn't God bring things full circle? Doesn't God use our past to do something glorious with our future? And he, they said, you will now be the shepherd over Israel. So this is what David does. David does these three things. He conquers the city of Jerusalem. He gets the ark from the enemy, the presence of God. Anybody remember the Ark of the Covenant? We were just reading about it. We talked about it, remember? We talked about it last week or a couple weeks ago. The Indiana Jones box, remember? Yeah, I remember. Yes, yes, yeah. Thank you. Come on, y'all need to holler back today. What's going on? I know you got an extra hour of sleep, but I need your help this morning. Ark of the Covenant. He, he went to go steal the ark back that was stolen from them. And the, and the first thing he did was he conquered the city not because he just wanted a city of his own. He conquered the city because he knew that that was going to be the capital of Israel. He went to go get the ark back. Why? Because he knew that the presence of God was important to the nation of Israel and to him. And the first thing he really did, and the reason why he did those first two things, was because he was going to get the ark, the presence of God, and put it at the center of his country. Because this is what David said. I will not lead this people unless the presence of God is in the middle. I will not be the one who is in charge of the nation of Israel God will be the one that's in charge of the nation of Israel. And here you have the king who was a shepherd boy who decides to make the first thing, the first thing, not just for him, but for others. Friends, if there's anything that you would want to know, what's the heart of my pastor? It's this. It's that the presence of God would be the priority of this place. There's a reason why we do the prayer room in this auditorium. Right, we do this prayer room. We have prayer meetings on Wednesday night. Get here at seven o'clock, for example. Why? Because Jesus is worthy of an hour after work. Not because you're going to get something, but because God deserves it. God deserves an hour of our time. God deserves our life. God deserves what? And his presence is at the center. His presence is the priority. We, we do the prayer room in this big auditorium. We do prayer meetings in this room. And there's only like 15, 20 people. There's not even that many people. But it doesn't matter because what's going to be at the center of this church is God. And I get it. I love churches that love people. I believe we do that well. But can I tell you, what does it matter if everyone else feels welcome, but God doesn't? And the minute that this church becomes a church and a place that doesn't prioritize the presence of God, then we're a social club and real transformation does not take place. People don't change people. God transforms people. And God's presence transforms people. And David understood this. And so David said, we're going to get the ark and we're going to put it back in the middle. And the nation of Israel is going to be centered around God's presence. And in the same manner, I believe that God would want to do that with our church. And God would want to do that with you and I. That is God the center of your life? Is the presence of God the center of your life? And if it's not, then family, there's a problem. There's a problem in the order, and oftentimes when I have learned there's a problem in the order, that means there is a problem and there is dysfunction. And so we have to learn how to prioritize the presence of God. And so I want to do this. I want to just give you three points that I believe kind of reveal to us on what David did and how we can prioritize the presence of God. And I got some other things as well. We'll see if we get to it. But I want to go to that holy motives Holy methods, holy movement slide, if you could do that. And so I believe there's three things we need to prioritize the presence of God. Ready? Number one is holy motive. What do I mean? You got to want God in your life. Just because you come to church doesn't mean you really want Jesus. I've learned that. I've learned that. 
right? Some of us, we could grow up in religiosity. We feel like it's the thing we need to do. We check off the box and, you know, we feel better about ourselves and, and we feel better about our life and, and we feel better about our sin and we feel better about what's wrong. And notice the, 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 what I, the, the, the pattern, right, is, is we, 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 we. And, and what I've learned is that you can say you're a Christian, but not really, really want Jesus. And my friends, that is a dangerous ground because that ground begins to produce hypocrisy in your life. That ground begins to produce things that aren't supposed to be produced. And I would tell you today that before we start anywhere, I want you to know that you got to get to the place where you want God for you. Young people, let me talk to the middle schoolers in this room right now. You are not going to get saved because your parents are going to heaven. You are not going to get to heaven because your parents said yes to Jesus when they were younger. You need to decide to follow Jesus on your own. You need to decide to follow God right now in your life. And I'm telling you, if you follow God right now, it's going to save you all sorts of drama later. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. But he's worth it. And the reason why I can pursue and follow God is because God has pursued me. I want you to know this, that it's not even in your own strength that you want God. But if you would allow God to be the thing that you want in your life, I'm telling you, you'll find him. And so you and I have to get to the place where we have to have a holy motive. What do I mean is that the thing that's deep down within us, we want Jesus and we desire him. We want God. And therefore, we want God's presence. See, when I talk about God's presence, I'm not just talking about a feeling. I'm not just talking about the songs we sing. I'm not talking about we want God's worship. No, no. I'm talking about relationship. I'm talking about the gospel. I'm talking about the thing that transformed our life. The presence of God is the nearness of God. Does that make sense? Right? When, I, when, I, when I'm speaking on the presence of God, I'm talking about God alongside of me, God in me, and me in God. Like how Jesus says we are in the book of John. It is the oneness with me and the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. It is Jesus in me and me in Christ. It is God being near to me. And friends, if you don't want that, you'll never have it. It's not that complicated. We have to get to the place in our life where we want God and not just religion. We want God and not just to feel good. We want to know God. We want to understand God. We want to experience God. We want to encounter God. We want to know the Jesus that saves us. David knew this Jesus. David knew this God when he was a shepherd boy out in the fields. And David knew that the only way I'm going to function, the only way I'm going to rule, the only way this thing's going to work is I got to put God at the center. You got to want him. We see this in the scripture. In 2 Samuel, where David just went to war with a group of people, just conquered Israel, and just, just went all over the place to get a box. Why? Because the box matters most. Can I tell you that your relationship with God is free, but it's also costly. It's not cheap. And real discipleship costs something. And I feel like we really don't like this word called sacrifice. Come on. <laughs> Right? It's not like, hey, I'm just telling you right now, I ain't going to go viral out on this sermon. Bro, if I was on stage right now and I was like, you going to get a Honda and you going to get a Honda and you going to get a Honda, I about have a million followers on Instagram today. But if I start preaching to you and saying God wants you to sacrifice, it's like, oh, I'm going to find another church. We just don't like it. I don't like it. We don't like it. Of course Right? Because it hurts and it's costly. But can I tell you that nothing in this life is of value unless it costs. I am so grateful, not only that God saved me, 
But why I value my relationship with God is not just because of what he's done for me, but also how much it has cost me in my life. It is costly to follow Jesus. And it's so worth it. It is so worth it. I can't wait till I get to heaven one day and I'm going to have a crown on my head. You get one too, just so you know if you make it. That's on you, boo-boo. And I can't wait to get that crown and throw it at Jesus' feet. Why? Because I didn't even earn that crown in the first place. He gave it to me. And I'm just giving him back what he gave me. As if you think you got yourself today because of you. David understood this. David understood the only reason why I am in authority and I have a crown on my head as king is because God put me there. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to put God in the place he belongs because God put me in the place that I belong. What's your motive? Do you want Jesus? And no one else can teach you that except you in yourself with God. I can talk about it. I can try to inspire it. I can challenge you in it, but, but no one can teach you hunger, family. No one can teach you pursuit. No one can, I can't, I can't like rub off a little bit of my pursuit on you. I can't rub a little bit of my fire on you. I can't rub, right? I'm, I'm, it's like cooties. Like that's what we think it is. No, 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 no. No one can teach you how to hunger for God on Monday. No one can teach you to choose Jesus on Tuesday. No one, and, and maybe we could give you tools and, and we can help resource you and we can have conversations and we can give you podcasts and sermons and clips and there's so many books, so many stuff that can, but in the end of the day, unless your heart truly desires God, you won't have him. But if your heart truly desires God, you will do anything and you will do whatever it takes to get him. And David did that. David understood that his priority was I'm going to get the presence of God back in my life again. That's a holy motives. That's the first thing. If you want to have a heart that's fully of God, a heart that's prioritizing the presence of God, you need to have a holy motive. Number two, you need to have a holy method. What does that mean? Listen, God's love is wide, but his worship is detailed. I'm going to say that again. God loves you and loves everybody. We believe that, that the love of God is real and the love of God is for everyone. And God loves you the way you need him to. But I want you to know that God doesn't want you to love him the way he loves you. Because his love is very specific. His worship is very specific. We don't like that. And I have learned that oftentimes the way of affection to God is through the pathway of sacrifice. And that's not just an Old Testament thing. That's a New Testament thing. We see this with Mary of Bethany as Mary goes to Jesus and breaks that jar. And Jesus says, this is the thing I desire most. What I have learned is that when God feels like I love him, it's not that is he pleased with me or proud of me. or no. He's already that. He already loves me. He's already proud of me. I, I live from acceptance, not for acceptance. Come on now. Right? I'm a son. I'm a child of God. Right? I'm a, I'm a, I'm a prince. I'm a king. In this royal family, right? I know my identity. But how God feels how I love him is when I give him something that cost me. Sacrifice is not a bad word. And the more you begin to love the term sacrifice and really embody it, watch what God begins to do in your life. So David thought, this is what we're going to do. We're going to put the box on a cart and we're going to have some bulls 
push it because we're a bunch of miles away, right? 20, 30, 40 miles. We're miles away from the city. And so that's the easiest way. This big old gold box is made of gold. It's super heavy. So we're going to do the easiest thing. And this is what I've learned, that we try to establish relationship through the framework of convenience instead of the framework of sacrifice. But whenever you establish a relationship in the framework of of simplicity and the framework of convenience, it never lasts. If it's always too easy, it's probably not true. That's 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 something for someone right now. Y'all need to tweet that. Some of y'all, this is way too easy. Some of of y'all single people, it's just like, it's just way too, that's probably not a God, that's why. That relationship's way too easy to get into. You're like, yeah, but you know, we just love all the same things and we just, we love the same movies and you know, we want to have the same amount of kids. It's like, bro, it's barely date two. Just wait till you fight. Some of y'all married couples, y'all should be shouting me down right now. Right? We, We don't. We're not willing to sacrifice. If it's too easy, if it's too convenient, I'm not saying sometimes God will make things easy. Of course he will. He's gracious and he's kind and he's merciful. But when it comes to prioritizing God's presence, it's going to cost you something. So let me go back to the main part of the conversation, which is you are called to prioritize the presence of God in your life. You are called men. You are the priest of your home. It is not your wife's job to get you to pray. If the only reason why your kids are praying is because they pray with mommy, men, you are sacrificing your authority on the altar of convenience. Men, you are called to sacrifice, to lead your family closer to Jesus, not just to a good family unit. It is going to cost women, moms, it's going to cost single people, it's going to cost. You don't get a hoe around and just date when you want the presence of Jesus. Teenagers, you're going to say no to some things. You're going to say no to some parties. You're going to say no to some friends. You're going to say no to some music. You're going to say no to some things, right? Married couples, you're going to say no to some things. People in your workplace, you're going to say no to some things. Why? Because my priority is God's presence. I will sacrifice. I will show up to prayer meetings. I will show up to church. I will go to small group. I will wake up early. I will stay up late. Why? Because the presence of God comes in the framework of sacrifice. Oil only takes place when there's crushing. Anointing only happens when you squeeze the grape. It is the only way. And how are we going to prioritize the presence of God? Is we do it God's way. Holy methods. And so David puts it on an ark. Sorry, puts the ark on an oxen cart. And this cart is going to Jerusalem. And the Bible says that the ox stumbles. Have you ever had a moment where the ox stumbles? What do I mean by that? Have you ever had a plan? Come on. You have this great, beautiful, glorious plan. Amazing plan. Great plan. Awesome plan. It's going to be the best plan. Perfect plan. And what happens? Step two of the plan. Everything falls apart. Oh, I'm the only one. I'm the only one. That's like, God, we're going to do it like this. And we're going to do it like this. Like, that's what we say, right? God, we're going to do it this way. And 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 God's like, ha you're funny, bro. You're funny. And uh, I'm going to make the ox stumble. I don't know about some of y'all, but I had great plans before 2020. And COVID, that was a big old, that was like two oxes stumbling. Come on, you know what I'm talking about? He messed all of us up. And you know what we did? We created a system that made the presence of God exploited instead of prioritized. 
because what the Bible says in the Old Testament is actually the ark of God is not supposed to be carried on the craftsmanship of man or man-made materials, but it was supposed to be made and carried, it was supposed to be carried on the shoulders of priests. And why does that matter? Because what I have learned is what we have done is we try to put the presence of God on things that are man-made instead of things that are God-designed. And I have met so many churches and I've seen so many churches and I pray we wouldn't be this one, but if we've ever have, we repent of it, that we would manipulate and exploit the presence of God for our own personal gain and that the system of man would be greater than the design of God. And so what happens? The system will always fall apart because the system was never supposed to carry the presence of God the way the presence of God was supposed to be carried in the first place was on the shoulders of man because God designed the priest. God didn't design the cart. And why does this all matter? Because then you find when the oxen falls and the cart falls and we get to the point of the story where Uzzah tries to grab the cart or grab the ark and he touches the ark when it was clearly stated that you're not supposed to touch the ark. But yet he decided to break the rules anyways. He thought, and, and I love this quote. I believe it's from Charles Spurgeon. He says that Uzzah thought that his hands were cleaner than the dirt on the ground. Because we think we know better than God. And we think we know what to do better with God's presence than him. And we think we know how to handle God's presence. And so, you know what? Maybe we're not Uzzah, right? It's not like this in the New Testament where we touch something and we die. But can I tell you that when you don't prioritize the presence of God in the way that it's supposed to be prioritized, when you put God third or fourth or fifth or sixth or seventh, watch the things that matter to you begin to die. Watch the things that begin to, you really, really care about begin to fall apart. Why? Because you're putting your hand on something that you shouldn't be touching. And you are not putting God in the place that he needs to be. And the Bible says David was angry. And then David was scared. Come on, I don't know if you ever had that moment with God. Where you get mad at God, and then you realize who God is, and then you get scared at God. That's real. And he pauses, and he waits, and he says, you know what? Nope, we're going to take the ark, and we're going to do it the right way. Why? Because not only do you need holy method, me motives, you need holy methods. Put that slide back up for me. You need holy methods. You need to know how God wants it to go down. And so this is what the Bible says, that David then went back and he sacrificed an animal. He put the ark on the shoulders of priests, like how it was always supposed to be. Here's what I have learned. Oftentimes our problems in our life is because we didn't do the first thing in the first place. We didn't do the right thing in the first place. We didn't do the thing we were supposed to in the first place. And now we're fixing the things that we know we shouldn't have done. And it's this vicious cycle of not doing what we're supposed to be doing and then doing what we're supposed to be doing. But if we were to just do it from the first place the right way, Uzzah would have never been a casualty of complacency. Because that's what Uzzah is. Uzzah is a casualty of complacency, of familiarity, and not prioritizing but exploiting the presence of God. But if we would have did it the right way, which David did, and the Bible says that they put the ark on the shoulder. So the, the ark, the box, he touched the box. The box used to have rods on it so that way the priest could carry it. And he would carry it. And it says this, every six steps, one, two, three, four, five, six, they would stop and they would kill an animal. I don't know about you, but that's, that's crazy. That's, some, that's, that's nuts. Now, thank God you and I do not live on the sacrifices of the animals anymore because we have a high priest 
who was the lamb that was slain, that was perfect. That was the lamb that was before the beginning of the world, that a man named Jesus was slain. Interestingly enough, though, this passage is connected to Psalm 24, which is a foreshadow to the New Testament, where Psalm 24 says, who can ascend the hill of the Lord? Ones with a clean hand and a pure heart. And what is David saying? He is describing on how they were climbing up the hill, the city of David. They were climbing up in Jerusalem to put the ark in the middle of the city so that we all can see the presence of God. And it was a foreshadow, right? I think when we think of this, we're thinking, man, it's just beautiful and there's songs and there's tambourines, but no, actually what it is, it's a bloody river, right? It's just blood all over the floor to foreshadow the blood of Jesus as he carried that cross on the same hill two thousand hundreds of years later on Beth, in Golgotha, in Jerusalem. Who can ascend the hill of the Lord, David says, one with the clean hands and a pure. Why is he saying that? Because what he's saying is, who can actually get God? Ones that are willing to show God that they really mean it. Who's really pure at heart? The ones that are willing to sacrifice. And I want you to know that you and I are called to sacrifice. Not sacrifice out of religious obligation. Although sometimes that matters, not, not just sacrifice because you want to earn salvation. You don't have to earn it. Salvation is already here. But if you want God, that's a different story. And this is what I've learned is that holy motives and holy methods produce holy movement. David has one of the greatest reigns, other than when he fell, one of the greatest reigns in any king of Israel. Why? Because when you attach your methods, your want of God with God's way, then God produces holy movements. That's all we can do, family. I think this is just an imagery of what God really wants in our heart. If you would allow me to allegorically speak to this, is that there's an ark. There's a thing. The presence of God. The relate your relationship. I want, I want you to see the ark, the golden box is your relationship, the presence of God. And do you want it really in your life? Do you want it first? Do you want it as a priority? And then if you do want it, there's a way that God wants you to get it there. It's not as simple as, okay, boom. No, no, no. Because you can say today, yep, I want the presence of God to be priority in my life. But tomorrow you're doing everything completely contrary to that prayer. So God will teach you the method on how to do it. He will show you what to do. And often I have learned is in his showing, in that method, there is sacrifice. But in that sacrifice, there is beauty. And in that sacrifice, there is power. And in that sacrifice, there is transformation. And in that sacrifice, there is blessing. And in that sacrifice, there is favor. It is in the sacrifice of wanting God more, God's way, that God begins to do a beautiful thing in your life. Holy motive, holy method produces holy movements. But my question to you is what matters most? And if we would be honest with ourselves, Jesus isn't the thing that really matters most. And family, unless that changes, I would fearfully say, then the problems in your life aren't really gonna change. But if you would give God the opportunity to be the first thing, if you would learn to prioritize him, if you would learn to trust him, if you would choose him, if you would say, you know what, God, yes, my family matters and my work matters and all that, but you matter most. Watch what God would begin to do. Watch what God would begin to do. Do me a favor, stand to your feet with me in this room.
close your eyes. And I believe that's what God was doing in worship. I believe he wanted to go a little longer because he just wanted to see if you can go a little longer. I don't think it was overcomplicated. And yeah, then he's kind and he starts speaking and God starts sharing some things on his heart. But ultimately, can you last another 15 minutes? What's 15 minutes? You're already here anyways. Because I think he's trying to show us what matters to you. What matters to you? What, what, what really matters to you? Am I the thing at the center of your life? And if I'm not, I will not stop coming after everything that is. Meaning that I will do what I need to do to get in the middle. If you're in here and you're saying, you know what? I'm a Christian and I'm a believer. I'm a disciple. I'm a follower of Jesus. God would say, I need to be the first thing. And I need to be the main thing. And I, I think you might think, well, that sounds narcissistic. No, it doesn't. Because he knows that the only way this is going to work is if he is the first thing in your life. And so we have to trust in that. And so close your eyes. You haven't already. And is there something else in your mind or in your heart that is more important than Jesus? And if there is, we gotta put it second or third family. And we gotta prioritize God in his presence. And only you know if that's true or not. And so if that's you and you would say, you know what, Pastor Chris? Yep, there's some things that I think are more important than our relationship with God. And I need to, I need to change that. I need to fix that. I need to work on that. I need to develop my priority of God's presence in my life. I want my priority to be David's priority. And I'm willing to sacrifice. I'm willing to do what it takes to get that. If that's you, just put your hand on your heart. I just want to pray for you. That's all wherever you're at. So good. So Holy Spirit, I pray for my friends. God, let us be people that prioritize you in your presence. Not church attendance, although that's matters and that's important. Not serving, although that's important. All of that matters. Not just doing good deeds or spending time with family. All of that matters. But God, can we be centered around your presence? Meaning, can you be in the middle? And can you be first? Can you be the one thing and the main thing in our life? And God, if there's anything that would get in the way of that, I pray you would show my friends. I pray that you would show us to move that stuff out of the way. And you would teach us how to prioritize you in this next season. So that way we can do all that you called us to do. And so just repeat this after me. If you have your hand on your chest or your heart, or if you don't, but you want to pray this with me, I would love for you to. And I believe it's just a simple prayer that would begin to jumpstart this thing in your life. Say this with me. Jesus, give me a heart after you. Teach me how to choose you and love you well and help me to make you the main thing of my life. And so we pray right now that that would be a reality. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen and amen. Come on, let's just give it up for what God did in the room. Come on. I love it. Family, I love it. 
I truly believe this family that God's doing something special. I really do. And so I pray that this message isn't just for today, but it's for tomorrow. And I pray that God would begin to challenge you in the deeper things of life. So that way you would be able to follow him to the capacity you would follow him. Do me a favor. If you're a first time visitor, fill out that connect card, fill it out. We love to get to know you. You get your free gift in the lobby. And that's all we have for you today. Also, friends, do you have a friend or a family member you know that needs to be here? Come on, anybody got someone? Anybody got someone? Anybody got someone that's like, man, I need to invite them to church. I need to invite them. I would love to see them next week. Invite a friend next Sunday. Sound good? All right, love you all. Have a great rest of your Sunday. We'll see you next week. Once again, thank you so much for joining in and listening to the message brought to our house this past Sunday. We love you, and we pray you have a blessed day and blessed week.